Christmas is the divine invitation to celebrate. Celebrate what? Well, that's what we're trying to explain to you. Celebrate, first of all, the communication of unspeakable joy. When the angel said, for unto you this day in the city of David has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We brought you good news that brings great joy. It's unspeakable joy. That, that's why, why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 15, we are to give thanks to God for his unspeakable gift. It's an indescribable gift because it brings indescribable joy. There's something so unique about the gift of Christ our Lord. And so we rejoice with unspeakable joy because it was communicated to us when there was nothing but darkness in Israel. That's one of the reasons we keep the room dark during the Christmas season. It's a reminder to all of us that before Christ came, the world was engulfed in darkness. But when the light would shine down on that glorious night, when the glory of the Lord would shine all around the shepherds, light had now come to a dark world that was in so desperate need of a Savior who would bring them joy. It's easy to say that because we understand Haggai 2, verse number 7. He is the desire of the nations. We understand Malachi 3, verse number 1. He is the delight of the people. We understand Malachi 4, verse number 2. He is the dawning sunrise that shines down upon us from above. We know that because we understand Isaiah chapter 28, verse number 16, quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse number 6, that he who believes in him is never disappointed. He who believes in him never wants to run away. He who believes in him will always stay with him. Why? Because of what he brings, because of who he is. So important. So Christmas is the divine invitation to celebrate the communication of unspeakable joy. And number two, the expression of unbelievable mystery. The unbelievable mystery centered around the conception, centered around the incarnation, and centered around the location of the birth of the Christ child. But point number three, I want to cover, give it to you this morning, is this. That there is a liberation from unbearable captivity. There is a liberation from unbearable captivity. There is a setting free of those who are enslaved to sin. When we sing that song at Christmas, what child is this, right? And for the most part, we understand that, that, that the child is light. For Christ said, I am the light of the world. And we understand that Christ is the light. We understand that Christ is the life, right? For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We understand that he is also not just light in life, but he is also lamb. The lamb that came to take away the sin of the world. On top of that, 
He truly is love. For God is love. And God who sent his son into the world because he loved the world sent to us the God of love. He is light. He is life. He is lamb. He is love. We also understand that he is lion. He is the lion of Judah. Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10, fulfilled again in the book of Revelation. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's also Lord of all. For unto you this day in the city of David has been born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We know those words. But one word we don't know very often is that he's also not just light and life, not just love and lamb, not just lion and Lord, but he is liberator. He is the only one that can set us free. He is the only one who can rescue us from our sin. No one else can do that. That's why there is this liberation from unbearable captivity because the liberator has arrived. This is who he is. This is his memorial name. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked him, what is your name? He told him, this is my memorial name to be remembered from every generation. And the memorial name of God is that he is a deliverer, he is a rescuer, he is a savior, he is a liberator. That's who he is. That's why this is his memorial name. The great God who says, I am that I am, is to be remembered as the great God who rescues and saves and liberates his people. That's why he told Moses, I'm coming down. How many times have we told you God comes down to do two things, to deliver or to destroy? He came down to deliver his people Israel from their bondage in Egypt. They had a physical bondage that they were in. And that deliverance became the symbol, became the type of deliverance that God would bring when he arrived to take us out of our spiritual bondage. So important. Because everybody is enslaved to someone. People talk to me about this all the time. They ask, hey, do, you, do we have free will? And I always say no. You do not. Your will is enslaved to Satan or to God. But your will is not free. You are enslaved. We forget that. This is what it says in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse number 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and releases us, liberates us, delivers us, saves us, forgives us our sins. Over in the book of Colossians, the first chapter, verse number 13, for he rescued us, he liberated us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul said it this way, 
Uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, in the, in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Every unbeliever is held captive by Satan to do his will, not your will. You are a slave to sin. It is an unbearable captivity that you need to be rescued from because Satan, the prince and power of this air, of this world, rules in your life. You've been taken captive by him. That's why there's this great transference from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Paul would say these words in Acts 26 as he talks about how the Lord had sent him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the domain of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, listen, I have been sent to talk to people who are in darkness, who are blind, that they might see, who are captivated by Satan in his domain and be released and rescued from that. Christ is our liberator. That's the celebration. That's the invitation of Christmas that we celebrate. That there is a liberation of our unbearable captivity. The Bible says that he who sins is a slave to sin. You see, we forget that. Every unbeliever is under the domain of Satan. And only God can open their eyes from the blindness that's there. Satan has captivated the unbeliever. How does he do that? Well, the Bible tells us these words. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. In other words, Satan has a grip on the unbeliever. You know what the grip is? It's the fear of death. That's how he holds them. And Christ came to crush all of that, to destroy all of that. Because that's the overbearing, the overwhelming burden that the unbeliever faces. He might not recognize it on the outside or at the outset, but he does what he does because he's enslaved to Satan. He sins because he's enslaved to sin. And he is held captive by one major motive, the fear 
of death. And that's how Satan holds them. So what happens when Christ saves you? He sets you free from the bondage of Satan. And how do you know you've been set free? You no longer fear death. Because that bondage is no longer holding you. You're set free. You're free from the fear of death. The separation from God. No, you'll never face that. Because of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what our Lord said in Luke 4? If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 for a moment. Luke chapter 4. Such a, a great passage. Christ is in the, in the synagogue in, in Nazareth, the town in which he grew up. Those of you who have been to Israel with me, we know where Nazareth is there on the, the cliff next to the Jezreel Valley. And uh, we go to the Mount of the Precipice. What, when we read this passage. The, the Mount of the Precipice, a, a place traditionally, not literally, but traditionally where Christ would be taken during this time, thrown off the cliff because they are so mad at him for what he says to them. But it's on this day that Christ has been asked to read and explain. And so the reading is from Isaiah chapter 61. And if you understand the book of Isaiah, there are twice, it says, Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. I believe it is Isaiah chapter 44. The Messiah will have the Spirit of the Lord rest upon him. How will everybody know who the Messiah is? The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So in Isaiah 61, when it speaks about the Messiah, Christ is reading that. So it says these words. He opened the book, found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Christ says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Every, every rabbi would say that one day, one day, the Messiah will come and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. But on this day, this rabbi says, this Spirit, the Spirit is upon me. And all this is being fulfilled before you, before your very eyes. Because everything you long for is now here. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to proclaim release to those who are captive. I've come to set them free. It's a, it's a word that means forgiveness. I've come to forgive those who have been captivated by Satan and are enslaved to their sin because all they can do is sin because they are gripped by the fear of death and sin helps numb that fear. So that's all they're going to do. But I've come to release them. I've come to rescue them. 
I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to proclaim release to the captives. Remember that hymn by Charles Wesley? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Wow. Every time someone's saved, the shackles of sin fall off. The door of their domain is opened. They're set free to enter into the domain of God's dear son, the kingdom of the living God. And now we become the slaves of God. We become the servants of the living God. We have come to serve only him. That's what Zechariah said. Listen to what Zechariah said. The father of John the Baptist in his song, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has accomplished liberation for his people. He's come to set us free. That's what Anna said, the prophetess in Luke chapter 2, as she was in the temple every day, day and night, proclaiming the gospel message to all those who longed for the redemption, for the release, for the deliverance, for the liberation of Jerusalem. Same thing Simeon said because he was longing for the consolation of Israel. How will Israel ever be consoled? How will Israel ever be comforted? They won't be. Into the one who liberates them from their bondage does come. So Zacharias makes it clear. And he was raised up, or he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He would go on to say, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Once we're rescued from the enemy, once we're released from our bondage, now we can freely and fully serve the true and living God without fear. That's what we celebrate. That's the divine invitation. He says, I come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to proclaim release to the captives. He says, I have come to provide sight for the blind. Do you know that every unbeliever is blind? They cannot see. The Bible says in Psalm 82, verse number 5, they do not know, nor do they understand, they walk about in darkness. The prophet Jeremiah said, they have eyes, but they do not see. Christ said, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil, for everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. He doesn't want his deeds exposed. He doesn't want to be held accountable to the truth. You see, every unbeliever is, is blinded naturally because they're born in sin. And they're also born not just blind naturally, but they're blinded by Satan himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4, 
that he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Christ says, I have come to provide sight for those who are blind. If you go through the, the gospels and you hear about the blind men who cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Oh, Lord, they could see, even though they were physically blind, they could see who Christ was, but the Pharisees who could physically see were spiritually blinded because of their sin. And Satan has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. And Christ says, I've come to open blind eyes. Isaiah chapter 42 says this, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you a covenant to the people as a light to the nations. God is speaking to the Messiah. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. That's what Christ came to do. There is this unbearable captivity that weighs the unbeliever down, that burdens his soul because he's enslaved to his sin and to Satan, and he doesn't even know it. And he's held in the shackles of the fear of death. And so he engages in sin because he's a slave to sin, because all the sin that he does helps numb the reality of the fear of death. And then he'd be set free from all that. And the only one who can do that is the liberator himself, Christ Jesus our Lord, the rescuer, the savior of the world, because he is a savior. You should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He shall rescue his people from their sin. He shall liberate his people from their sin. He will deliver them because that's who he is. That is his memorial name that is to be remembered from generation to generation. I am that I am. That's why God named his son Jesus. God named him. John the Baptist didn't name him. I mean, sorry, Zacharias, I mean, Mary didn't name him. Joseph didn't name him. John the Baptist didn't give him a name. Zacharias didn't give him, a, give him a name. God gave him a name. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a beautiful, beautiful reality. He came not just to pro preach the, the gospel to the poor, and proclaim release to the captives and provide sight to the blind, but to produce freedom for all those who are oppressed, all those who are weighed down, all those who are discouraged. See, the unbeliever doesn't even know why he's discouraged. He doesn't even know why he's depressed. But they numb all those things in alcohol, in drugs, in pornography, anything that will numb them from their depression and all of the difficulties that they face day in and day out. They are so spiritually oppressed because their sin has weighed them down so heavily. And the Lord says, 
I've come to produce freedom from all that. That's why he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're, you're, you're worn out because of your sin. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and gentle of heart. Come to me. The divine invitation to celebrate. That's what Christmas is. What do we celebrate? We celebrate the communication of unspeakable joy, the expression of unbelievable mystery, the liberation of unbearable captivity. And number four, we celebrate the exaltation, the exaltation of unfathomable majesty. That's what we celebrate. We've been invited to celebrate the exaltation of unfathomable majesty. If you got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Very familiar verse. It's on probably most of your Christmas cards that you send out. It's a, it's a, it's a verse that's quoted very, very often. But today I want you to understand the implications of it. There's darkness in Israel because they're, they're, they're going to go into captivity. And yet there's going to be hope that's going to come. And the hope will come through the Messiah who is born. And there's something here about, about the presence of the living God. Listen to what it says. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord host will, will accomplish this. Listen, the presence of this son, this, the presence of this child identifies him with humanity. A son will be given, but the child will be born. The son is not born. The child's born. The son is given. It's an expression of divinity as well as humanity. And then he says this, and the government will be upon his shoulders. This expresses the, the sovereignty of God that rules over all. And then he says, and his name shall be called. Remember, I told you, his name is always singular. It's never plural. God doesn't have names. He has a name. And that name has many facets, many attributes, many qualities. But he only has one name. He is Hashem, the God of the name. So when you have those books in your libraries that say the names of God, cross it out. Because it's not true. He has one name. And this is his name. He shall be called Wonderful. He shall be called Counselor. He shall be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Listen, because he is called Wonderful, he is incomprehensible. 
He is incomprehensible. He is wonderful because of his identity of who he is. He is wonderful because of his ministry. And because he is wonderful, listen carefully, he fulfills all your desires. Remember, he is the desire of the nations, Haggai 2.7. He is the delight of the people. He is a sun that dawns at the deepest darkness. Because he is wonderful, only a wonderful God can fulfill all your desires. That's why you, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. You are the branches. I am that I am. I am the great I am. I am the door to glory. I am the good shepherd. Listen, I am going to fulfill every one of your desires because the desires you have can only be met in the one who is called the desire of the nations, the delight of the people. That's why the announcement came, we bring you good news of great joy. Why? Because the light has now dawned on the darkness of your soul. For his name shall be called Wonderful. Because he's wonderful, he is incomprehensible, but he will fulfill all your desires. He is called Counselor. Counselor. Because he's called Counselor, listen carefully, he is invaluable. He is invaluable. If he fulfills all your desires, listen carefully, he will now facilitate every one of your decisions. He is absolutely invaluable to you because he is your counselor. Listen, there's only one counselor that is consistently close to you. It's the God who lives in you. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. He is so close, he will never leave you. I mean, you can make a phone call to the church and, and call to make an appointment with the pastor because you want to have counseling. But if I'm not here, you got to wait till I get here. But for this one who's called counselor, he's always there. Not only is he close, but he's absolutely cognizant of everything going on in your life. You come to me for counseling, I don't know your thoughts. I don't know your heart. I don't know the secret intents of your life. I don't know those things. But this counselor, he knows them. He is cognizant of everything going on in your life. So he knows your thought life. He knows the bitterness that's hidden deep within your soul. He knows all that because he has it exposed to him. He is the light of the world. He sheds light on the darkest part of your soul. This is the counselor. He is invaluable because he is so close and so 
cognizant of everything that happens in your life. But he's the only counselor that's confidential. In other words, he is the faithful high priest. He's not going to share with the angels in heaven what's going on in your life. He's completely confidential. He is completely cognizant of everything happening in your life. He is consistently close and never leaves nor forsakes you. But on top of that, he is also he is also compassionate. Absolutely compassionate. He is a merciful, faithful high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses. No earthly counsel, counselor can do that. We'd like to, but we cannot. But Christ can. He is so compassionate. Even though he knows everything about your life, he's compassionate, he's cognizant, he is close, he is confidential. That's this counselor who facilitates all your decisions. But on top of that, he is the only counselor that is capable of supplying all your needs. I can't do that. But he can. He is capable. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ever ask or think. That's who he is. Who doesn't want a counselor like that? That's why he's called counselor. On top of that, he is the only counselor that gives comfort. He gives great comfort. He is the great comforter. That's who he is. That's what he does. My wife and I were talking the other day, and she said to me, you know, honey, there were times in our, in our marriage when I went through difficult times, and I don't really feel like you were there for me. And I said, I was there. I said, or she said, yeah, but you didn't really meet me at my point of need. You really weren't comforting to me. And I said to her, I understand that, but I was an absolute immovable rock. And she said, yes, you were. And I said, have you ever hugged a rock? There is no comfort there. Have you ever laid your head on a rock? There is no comfort there. But you know what? The rock never moves. I said, I might not have been as compassionate or as comforting as I should have been, but you could hold on to me and you could be and find security and strength at your greatest need. Our Lord is that great counselor. Listen, if he, not if, since he is wonderful and he is incomprehensible, which he is, 
he will fulfill all your desires. Because he's counselor, he's invaluable. He will facilitate all your decisions. Because he is mighty God, he is invincible. And because he's invincible, he will fortify every one of your defenses. He is the mighty God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is, as the Hebrew says, the El Gabor, the one that's immovable. He is the victorious one. On top of that, the Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. That means he's incomparable. In other words, nobody can bring peace like this name can bring. Invaluable peace. Invincible peace. Incomparable peace. And because he is the Prince of Peace, he is the only one who can free you from distress. No one else can. Only he can. I can't give you peace. He says, John 14, 27, I give you my peace. Not as the world gives to you, give I unto you, but my peace I give unto you. He says he is the everlasting father. In other words, he is the father of eternity, the creator of eternity, the originator of eternity, speaking to his eternality. That's who he is. Meaning that if he is the creator of eternity, he is the eternal father, the originator of all things. Listen carefully. He fashioned your destiny. Who doesn't want to come to a child, to a son that fulfills all your desires, that fortifies your defenses, that facilitates all your decisions, that frees you from distress and the one who fashions your destiny. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate it because of the exaltation of his unfathomable majesty. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for today and all the joy that you bring to the soul that is lost. That in you, Lord, is life. And that life is the light of all men. And we thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to embrace the gift. If there be someone today among us that is yet to embrace the gift of eternal life, May this be their day. May they come and respond to the invitation to celebrate the Christ this Christmas and receive the glory of the Lord, the forgiveness of sins, and serve the one true God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.